When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the One Foot Down podcast. My name is Jude Seymour. I'm the writer-editor of One Foot Down, and um, with us tonight is my friend and colleague, Brendan McElhinden. Brendan, how are you? Uh, happy Honda Days, Jude. Um, just enjoying <laughs> the season of savings. Uh, do you think – we've probably talked about this in a previous podcast, but do you think that there's, that people actually do the whole – like do you think that the car dealerships have big red bows that you can put on cars for Christmas? If they, if they don't, I feel like that's false advertising. That's a missed if you, opportunity, right? If you're selling – if you're buying a car at this time of year, um, which I, I, I don't know who's buying their spouse or significant other mm-hmm. other than the exorbitantly wealthy um, – cars for the uh the holiday times i mean uh, maybe if you were uh you know double income no kids but all of my money is going to uh going to buy presents for other people um the car's not really uh in the christmas budget so i guess you could turn your uh christmas bonus or whatever into a car maybe um you know maybe without Trying to give too much away, although I doubt your kids listen to this podcast. Like, what is sort of what's the hot? What are the hot toys for your kids this year? Like, what are they? Were they? What's on super on the top of the the want list? Maybe um, not something that they're necessarily getting, but something that they really they've talked about a lot. Uh, we watch a lot of Disney Junior, um, mm-hmm. so the they they market the toys pretty well. There's this thing called the Magic Mixie, which is kind of the hot the hot button issues for the the young girls this year. That was a beast. I went to like. Six different stores to try and find one of these magic mixies. I went to a Target once on a lunch break. Um, spent, drove to Celine. They said they had them in stock, and there was like me and four other parents, and we're all standing there looking like idiots uh, with our phones in our hands. Like it says here that you have them, and the guy's like, you know, sixteen-year-old snot-nosed kids, like, yeah, I'm checking the back, but uh, it's not on the shelf. We don't have it. So we're all just standing there, like, who's gonna get it if he brings one back? And, right. uh, you know, comes back, doesn't have one. And then I check my phone, see that there's one in Jackson at Meyer. So I drive over to Jackson right after that. Um, and I get there, I go to the, the shelf and it's not there. And the, the lady checks her thing, her scanner. And she says, well, it says that we have one in stock. So that means somebody's got it in their cart. So mm-hmm. I walked throughout Meyer just like stalking all of the the shopping carts to see if they had them. I wasn't sure if I was going to offer to pay for it or if I was just going to like wait till they were going to grab some food from a shelf and just like <laughs> get from their cart. I, I wasn't sure. I mean, this this is getting into like a jingle all the way scenario. With it was a, it's a very jingle all the way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I was able to secure one uh, this year's Turbo Man, this Magic Mixy thing. Which I'm awesome. sure she'll play with for about 15 minutes, and then it'll go in the closet. 
Do, I mean, do you get frustrated when that happens, when, when you make all that effort and then it just, it kind of, you know, fizzles? Cause I've definitely been there before where you, you, you get excited about a present and then the person, then the kids is like throwing it over their shoulder going, what's next? And you're like, no. <laughs> I mean, the worst is when you spend like an hour putting together decals for it, like putting all the decals on the shit. And so you're like putting decals on the presents on Christmas morning and they want to play with it. And then they, you, you get all the decals on there expertly. You bust out the, the tweezers and you got to pull them off, right? <laughs> and then you finally get it all put together and they barely play with it. They don't appreciate your, your decal work. And then it uh, just collects dust. Yeah. The worst. Uh, well, we're flying without our, our captain tonight. Uh, we're going to have a, a couple of things that we want to talk about. It is a little bit of a slow period. Notre Dame is practicing for uh, the upcoming Fiesta Bowl against the Oklahoma State Cowboys, which obviously will be on January 1st, uh, hopefully on a television near you. Uh, hopefully nobody's got problems with <laughs> with, uh, with getting that bowl uh, on a, when it, when, at the appropriate time. And there have been some bowls that have gone on that – you may or may not have seen based on whether or not you own YouTube TV, Did but uh, <laughs> um, there are a couple of things that are I th- we thought were worthy of talking about. So that's why we hit record. Maybe first and most interesting uh, was this news coming out of USC that uh, the transfer quarterback, Heaton Slovis, had mentioned on, I believe it was a was it a podcast or a radio show that he had mentioned um, that Notre Dame had expressed interest. Do you know? Uh, I don't know where he said it. Uh, I do know that it's been the hot, the hot topic this afternoon and, or I guess this morning and afternoon though. Yeah. And we, obviously we talked about it a little bit with our friend Greg, who is obviously more knowledgeable about things USC related as, as he runs a USC related pod with his friend Michael Muto. But, uh, and they talked about it, I believe on their podcast, but, um, I just wanted to get your kind of first blush take. Why, why is Notre Dame talking to Keevan Slovis? Do you think? Do you think there's anything to be made of it? And uh, what are your personal feelings about the idea of Keaton Slovis being on Notre Dame? Well, I think all the the Notre Dame insiders quickly debunked it, right? I think um, uh, Lloyd came out and said uh, debunked it, and, and a couple of people did, um, saying that no, it's it's not going to be something that happens. Um, you raised a good point in the the, the chat that what what was it? It was maybe. Because somebody might be tra- – it could be a transfer thing and they're just trying to kick the tires and see numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was my first theory, which was like they know something we don't know, right? And so when you when you got a quarterback room that is uh, Buckner, Pine, and Jelly, right? And I think yeah. that's what we think – the and Paulus, obviously, but yeah. uh, less, <laughs> less of a factor here. Um, um, you know – why are you looking at a guy like Keaton Slovis? And and so the only really two things that came to mind are you like Tyler Buckner, but you are concerned about his ability to be ready for September in the shoe. Um, or, um, you know, you, you are worried about having somebody behind Tyler Buckner because Drew Pine is not going to be there or because, I, I mean, Steve Angeli just um, – I, I don't know that you're worried about Steve Angeli per se – but um, you know whether it's whether it's pine leaving or or something you you know something that we don't and that's maybe that's what maybe what I was was thinking so um, I don't know I, I mean I, I think that it's probably you're right it's probably not worth talking about too much but you know 
I think maybe there will be another quarterback they look. Yeah, I mean, it, you look at, I guess if they're going to grab somebody, um, my hope would be is that they get somebody to just provide numbers. And I'm not sure Keaton Slovis is um, looking to come in just to, to provide depth to the, the quarterback room. Because my hope is that they have Pine or Buckner um, as the plan moving forward. And Tommy Reese recruited pretty heavily Tyler Buckner. Um, this was his guy, right? So when he – they had the ability to recruit you know, a J.J. McCarthy and they chose not to because Tyler Buckner was the guy that, that Tommy Reese picked. So Buckner is, is Reese's, Reese's guy. So I would assume that, you know, with the the amount of reps that he got, maybe a hundred so odd snaps or whatever uh, this year, and that's pretty good for a freshman, um, that they would feel comfortable enough pivoting towards him running the offense next year. And I don't know if you want to, you know, obviously you're going to let Drew Pine and Buckner have a QB battle, and I don't know if you want to bring in another guy because then you're definitely going to cause somebody like a Drew Pine to want to look elsewhere, right? Or whoever loses it could be Buckner. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm i not a huge fan of reaching out towards Keaton Slovis just because I've watched Keaton Slovis play a lot of football games, and I've never been terribly <laughs> impressed with Keaton Slovis. He had pretty good freshman stats, but he also had one of the most stacked wide receiver rooms um you know, this side of Ohio State and Alabama. So, and since then, I mean, it's been diminishing returns for what he's being, and you don't see USC fans being particularly heartbroken about Keaton Slovis taking his talents elsewhere, which is a pretty good tell as well. Yeah, I thought maybe it was, um, you know, maybe they call them as, as an as to get a sense about whether or not he'd be willing to play sort of the veteran QB in the in the room where, you know, nothing was guaranteed in terms of the starting role, but if they needed him sort of a almost like a three three game rental, almost like what Brandon Wimbush did for UCF. I'm trying to think of like maybe Everett Golson for a couple of games for Florida State where, you know, you start with one guy, but it's pretty clearly apparent that you're you're priming and the other guy to take over. And so he maybe starts the first couple of games, or maybe he doesn't even ever start any games, but he's always there as the the trusty backup. Um, but it's clear that Keaton Slovis has enough juice behind him to be a starter somewhere. So I don't believe he needed to really um, take that seriously. And maybe that's why the talks fizzled. But I suppose I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have a problem with picking up, uh, you know, a, a veteran guy from a from a from a, from a lesser program or whatever as a safety net. But, um, you know, I, I think it's got to be ride TV 12 or die, basically. Um, it's I, I can't see any other scenario that I really think is probably worth it because if, if you haven't developed Buckner by September of next year, then I think you've got bigger problems than Keaton Slovis or anybody else who might come in. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to say Tyler Buckner is, um, <clears throat> you know, going to win uh, – you know, the Heisman Trophy this year, or I guess in 2022. But, I mean, his workload and where he's at, you know, coming in, 
uh, into his potential sophomore season. Uh, that's what Bryce Young did last year for Alabama. I mean, Bryce Young threw 22 passes last year and ran the ball, you know, nine times. Um, and really, it was mostly sacks, his, his runs. So um, he had even less uh, experience coming into 2021, Bryce Young, than um, Tyler Buckner. And, you know, Bryce Young was also, what, the number two ranked player in the nation uh, in his recruiting class and the, the number one overall quarterback. So um, certainly he was, uh, you know, a little heralded. But this is what this is what you do in major college football. You, if you have a guy that you, you believe in, you know, you season him, you pepper him a little bit his his freshman year, and then you you let him take over the reins his his sophomore year. I mean, um, you can look at you know C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, who Notre Dame will see um, next year. He had one rush attempt for 48 yards in 2020. And then was a Heisman finalist in 2021, uh, threw for, you know, 3,800 yards. So, um, that's, that's kind of what happens, um, right? In, in major college football now, um, there's, you, you put these guys in, you, you recruit them to play them, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that going the graduate transfer route or, you know, income transfer quarterback route for two years in a row maybe speaks to some sort of deficiency in recruiting. I I know that you know some some colleges are acting like this is this is what they want to do is have the established guy every single year or whatever. Um, but you know, Tommy Reese, if you take his comments at face value today, said he's pretty happy with the quarterbacks that they have in the room. Like you just either start to believe you can develop these guys or or um, you know, at some point you pull the ripcord, but I don't, I, I just don't think we're there yet. So, um, you know, it sounds like Tom, you know, Tom Loy and others are, are saying that Keaton Slovis is actually going to gravitate towards Pitt. And the reason that that would be an option would be because Kenny Pickett just recently announced that he's going pro, uh, which I think is kind of, not going to play in the Peach Bowl, which I, I think is a great move for Kenny Pickett because strike while the iron is hot and also, don't play in the Peach Bowl because um, beating Michigan State is is a nice coda to to Pitt's season uh, if they pull it off, but it's really it's really not necessary for Kenny Pickett's fortunes. So um, he would have he would have put up <clears throat> absolutely ridiculous stats against Michigan State. In <laughs> the, they are the 130th ranked uh, pass defense in college football. Michigan State is. And Kenny Pickett's the the highest rated quarterback in college football, uh, stats wise. They Michigan State gives up 337 yards per game. Oh my God, they've given up 4,000 yards through the air. Michigan State has, <laughs> you know, a, a New Year's it, Six team. Is that bad? It's pretty. It's pretty bad, man. I, I, uh, they have given up 300 more yards than the next. Uh, I guess worst. Uh, worst team. Um, they are just prolific. Kenny Pickett would have had an absolute field day against that Michigan State. Um, I'm trying to. Th- the only the only offense the only defense worse in the last. Um, I, I guess is in terms of yards allowed uh, was Oklahoma in um, 2018. 
gave up uh, 1,100 yards, and that was in 14 games. Nobody has even come close to touching their yards per game at three, <laughs> 337. It's just like team guys are just having career days against Michigan State. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. So obviously that changes the outlook of the of the Peach Bowl, but but you also told me about a, a um, another player who's now turning towards the NFL and, and pursuing that will also change the, the face of the game. And, and I believe that's Kenneth Walker, right? Michigan yeah. State's running back. Yeah, he had 1,600 yards this year for 263 carries. So they will be turning to uh, either Jordan Simmons and his 54 carries on the year or uh, Elijah Collins <laughs> and his 12 carries on the year. So <clears throat> Michigan State's offense was Kenneth Walker. So it is going to – I mean the two so the two drivers the of under. each offense are gone. Take the old under on this game now all of a sudden? Yeah, I, if if there's an under to hit, you got to hit it. I don't I even know say, who Kenny Pickett's backup is, um, but <laughs> he'll throw for 300, I'll tell you that much. We're, we're sure shit going to find out. Maybe it's just coming out, uh, you know. But obviously that's uh, that's another one of those um, – Another one of those January first games, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, I well, no, I think it's oh, the thirtieth. They play on the thirtieth. Yeah, I think it's on the thirtieth. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think Notre Dame's their lineup set, right? It's just going to be uh, Hamilton and um, Kyron, right? Minus Kyron, yes. And oh, and I mean, I mean, not that he was going to play, but Shane Simon announcing that he's he's transferring, right? Yeah, he said he's transferring. I believe he said that uh, he will be playing in the, the bowl game. Or, I mean, he'll oh. be available. No, he said he's not going to be available for the bowl game. I missed that aspect of it. I thought he was immediately jumping into the transfer portal. So, typically that means you're not available. But let me check the fine print on this one. Because that's a uh, – I mean, it's not that – how many snaps? Oh yeah, even- I'm help- I'm excited to close out my Notre Dame career by helping my teammates finish this Fiesta Bowl champions. Yeah, so I think it's just there those two. Um, to my knowledge, there's nobody from Oklahoma State, uh, mostly because there's nobody good enough. Uh, <laughs> there's nobody worth the to make the move. <laughs> that's always a that's always an aspect, right? Uh, the, the teams that don't have anybody good enough to to make that decision. Uh, they come in with their their team pretty well intact. Yeah. So yeah, all systems go. Um, in terms of you know, obviously the, the two we thought we were going to lose, we're, we have lost, and uh, and then everybody else, you know, accepting any sort of. Uh, I mean, I maybe even don't want to say it out loud, but just all systems go right now. How about that? All systems go right now. So, um, obviously not looking I, I would love for the Notre Dame team to have an opportunity to close this out the right way to give Marcus Freeman a good start to his Notre Dame coaching career um and and I think that can be accomplished with the with the current personnel I'm very confident that you know guys like Jack Cohn who uh you know had one last ride and before going off to the uh, East West Shrine Bowl I think is what he accepted the invitation for today yeah can't, can't wait can't wait for the old East East West uh-huh. Shrine Bowl is that is that the, that's different than the Reese's Senior Bowl, right? Those are two yeah, totally is, different things. They're, okay. they're different. I guess the uh, both are a point. The Reese's the Reese's invite so haven't gone out yet. No, I don't. I don't think that they've uh, they've ascended. Don't they use old coaches too? 
Uh, they use old Washington <laughs> coaches like Rick Neuheisel. Yeah. I think Neuheisel. I, was say, I think John Gruden's a little toxic right now, but um, maybe they, they can get old. Uh, certainly, he's got Gruden. I think uh, Urban Meyer's looking for some work. Maybe they can they can kick the tires on uh, on old Herb. <laughs> Bring him in. Yeah, it's funny because I think it was maybe a year ago. I, I saw on my time hop that well, like almost I think it was a year ago. Uh, Ohio State, or two years ago maybe, Ohio State announced its leadership course being taught by Urban Meyer, and I get to check all about that. I uh, I just yeah. hope that if he does get tabbed for the Reese's Senior Bowl to be a head coach, that uh, any field goal kickers on the team decide to wear the Ron Paulus flak jacket uh, during practices. Uh, so rough. So rough. Uh, yeah. Hey, kids, don't kick your kicker. That's no, uh, just a good life lesson, I guess. Yeah, don't don't do that. Don't kick the small people. <laughs> don't really kick the small people. So, um, you, you know, one foot down has a bold media that's going on. Um, I'm doing pretty pathetically, but I'm somehow still in 15th place. I don't know, Brendan. Do you have you looked at your stats recently? Do you know where you are? Yeah, I'm still on the first page. I'm at 29th. I'm still in the hunt. Okay. Uh, Josh, Josh is a uh, 15th. Josh is doing fit the worst. Oh no. Uh well uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of games left. Um there I uh, are a lot of games. I wanted to ask you about whether or not there was anything on this week's menu that was worth you thought would be worth watching. I know you're probably lined up for that Kent State Wyoming game tomorrow afternoon for the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, but besides that, besides that, is there one thing? Unless, unless they dump out a uh Gatorade cooler full of like mashed potatoes and gravy on the coach. I mean, I'll I be wa- they did French fries. I will. I, I will think be they watching. Did French fries in this. Did they do French yeah. fries? Yeah, I believe they did. Last year they did French fries. Yeah, they should use my mom's uh, mashed potatoes because they have the consistency of um, a nice soup. Um, <laughs> I I've yet to watch a bowl game though yet. This year, I haven't I haven't watched one yet. Oh, for real? Yeah, because oh, okay. um, I was part of the YouTube uh, uh, YouTube. Oh, the blackout locked yeah. me out from the 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 bowl games. So um, no, I don't want to say that I wow. I haven't uh, seen the a bowl game yet. I what was the first? There was a there was a I didn't watch the ones today, but there was the um, uh, I watched Tulsa Old Dominion. Well, the first day you had the Bahamas Bowl. Yeah, I watched oh, okay. Tulsa a little bit. All right, you yeah. watched Tulsa. That was today. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's. Um, I don't want to say that I haven't seen anything yet, but um, yeah, I yeah. Was, Old Dominion opened the game by housing a kickoff for a hundred yards, and then promptly couldn't figure out their offense. So Tulsa won that one pretty handily. But I uh, I wanted to watch the Eastern Michigan Liberty game. Um, <laughs> But from my understanding, it was uh, – I mean, Josh tried to tell everybody to, to get on Eastern, um, and the Eastern Michigan Eagles have yet to win uh, – still, the Eastern Michigan Eagles have yet to win a bowl game um, as they lost 56-20 to 20 in an absolute shellacking in a perfectly officiated uh, football game. Yes, apparently so horribly officiated that Liberty was gifted 36 or more points. Is that <laughs> yeah, the reason? 30. Yeah, that's uh, that was Josh's reason that the the officials cost him thirty six. Yeah, um, uh, I mean, I, I did I did chuckle 
you know, obviously you guys have that central versus Eastern sort of, you know, rivalry that that's happened between your two respective alma maters, but I did chuckle that, you know, you were kind of giving him hell in the, uh, and when people are asking about advice about the confidence picks, which by the way is, I don't know if it's ESPN or, or just all confidence picks, but it's literally the most annoying thing to do is to click like all your confidence pick. It was just, you, I found it super annoying. I, I wish I could just, it used to be that you could just check the number and then you could flip it that way, but you can't do it anymore. Now you have to like drag them to where you want them, which is an absolute pain in the ass. Or like, yeah. And, it, and of, of course, if you don't do it in the exact order from the most confidence to the least confident, then they get, they get moved on you too. If you're like, yeah. oh, this one I feel like a 17 on, and then you pick another game that's like, you know, uh, 18, it gets bumped down to 16, right? So, what uh, what game curiously do you have as your um, your top pick? I actually already have it. Uh, my top pick was Coastal Carolina over Northern Illinois, and apparently it was a lot more of a squeaker than I thought it was going to be. But I did get the full 44 confidence points or 45, whatever whatever the top was. So. Uh, I did lose a solid 40 on Toledo, though. I thought for sure they would beat Middle Tennessee in the old Bahamas Bowl, but that did not happen. Didn't didn't quite pan out. Um, no, didn't didn't quite pan out. I had my problem is is that I need to readjust some of them because I do have Pitt beating Michigan State is my my 44. I thought that was before um, before the decision was made by old Kenny Pickett. So I'm probably right. going to have to drop that back down. Um, but, yeah, I took some heavy losses with uh, Jackson State. Um, I kind of bought into, uh, you know, Coach Dion. Um, prime okay. time, And that burned yeah. me. And then BYU I, uh, losing to UAB, um, which what a story is UAB. Um, not having, having their football program snatched from them and then putting their – getting it back and now they beat 13th ranked BYU. That's uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. If I were a commentator, I'd say, you have to ask yourself, Brandon, if BYU just really wanted to be there, right? Cause <laughs> yeah, apparently when, when, when a 13th ranked team inexplicably, inexplicably loses to a team like UAB, then it's, you know, well, who wanted to be in Shreveport, right? So who did want to be in Shreveport, Louisiana? I mean, it's not my number one pick to hang out in December, but, you know, I suppose no, the weather's probably better than this. <laughs> Where yeah, we both of us live. <laughs> it'd be better than, you know, playing in, uh, you know, the Motor City Bowl or whatever it is, the Little Caesars Bowl now. That sounds like uh, an absolute yeah. playing in the uh, sterile Ford Field environment does not sound very fun in the middle of the winter. I mean, even... Even the Lions don't like doing it. So. No, the Lions. Uh, <laughs> not even the Lions wanna wanna be there. Yeah. So well, I I did. I uh, I also uh, leaned into the Deion Sanders hype, uh, mostly because South Carolina State was seven and five, and I just thought there's no way they're gonna lose. They're gonna lose to a seven and five team. But I put one confidence point on it because I was just like I I just can't. I don't know these teams well enough to to put good numbers on them. You know, so I lost it, but I only lost the one confidence point. So I suppose that's Damn. something, right? That is, I'm that if you're going to lose a game, you got to lose one of the ones with the, the zero. You got to lose, lose the one. The one, yeah. Yeah, those single digits. Yeah. 
And I did correctly pick Western Kentucky, but I wasn't very confident about it. I only gave that a seven. So Western yeah, Kentucky I had that being Appalachian State. Down at a five. Uh, I lost my five and my two. I picked Toledo and Appy State. So it's not, it's not uh, a horrible loss, but man, it's just. I also, I overextended myself and went Oregon State. Um, that turned out to be a, in the, in the Jimmy Kimmel, the inaugural Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl with the puking camel and Jim playing clarinet. Yeah. With the band. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, look, it's, it's been entertaining. Um, I, I think I, I posted it on Twitter earlier this week. There was the 2012 New Mexico Bowl in which um, Arizona was down 13 points with about a minute and 40 seconds left and inexplicably won. Um, I think that's those are the reason you watch those random bowls. You know, you know just, and it's fun. Who are these people that want less bowls, right? You see them pop up every year around this time and they start complaining there's too many bowls. Who are these too many bowls people? Like – and why do they hate football? Well, I thought maybe the too many Bulls people are just straw men that uh, the major national media puts up to uh, to punch down, and everyone can jump on and be like, "Yeah, more college football, not less." Like I just <laughs> you think it's just a bunch of burner accounts on there. I like, like uh, oh, yeah, Todd Blackledge's burner account to get yeah, people to... <laughs> just like who who's complaining about uh, you know? And, and based off the reaction to um, you know YouTube and ESPN having their snit fit in the middle of uh, middle of the you know the FCS playoffs last night the uh, on the 17th and then having it the outage last a couple of days it seemed to me there were a lot of people that wanted to watch bowl games um, there wasn't a lot of people saying yes thank God for my fifteen dollars back I you know I wasn't going to watch these bowl games anyways so I don't I don't know who these people are and I don't think that I would be friends with them if I talked no. to them. no no of course I don't. not. Don't uh, I don't understand it. I don't understand how you could want less less of something that you enjoy or claim to enjoy. Yeah, no, God no. Uh, so, are there any? Back to my question from before: Are, are there any bulls upcoming that you're going to be watching? Obviously, before we get to to January first with with Notre Dame, is there something on your radar for this week? Will you settle down with uh, with presence and watch the? Um, the uh, the Camellia Bowl or whatever is on Christmas Day. Um, you know what's what's kind of the game plan for this week? Um, what's his name? Um, Akalib <laughs> Evans, right? He's the the Tulsa grad transfer who spurned Notre Dame for Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope he has a fantastic time putting together some uh, cornerback tape for his transition <laughs> to the NFL. As his uh, six and six Missouri team plays the Army uh, in their bowl game, on uh, <laughs> right. So uh, good for yeah. him or for making one of the, the t- decision. One of the two Spartan. Armed Forces Bowl. I can't remember if it's the military this bowl or the- Lockheed Martin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, um, apparently, I've been told that the only thing that Missouri didn't really do very well this year, or did the worst in terms of their defense, was stop the run. So hey, good luck with that. Luck with that. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to put together a lot of good, a lot of good tape for the NFL in that football game, uh, playing cornerback against Army. Not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, you know, sore about it or anything, or, um, you know, certainly would have enjoyed having his services, I think. But uh, yeah, whatever. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
go die somewhere else. I think the uh, the Gasparilla Bowl probably is the game, like of the games, is probably the one that's the most interesting. Uh, this is at uh, least, the Florida teams, right? UCF. And yeah, Florida. UCF and Florida. It's not a vintage yeah. UCF. Um, Florida is, was a train wreck this year, but you know they bring in Billy Napier, um, and it should be uh, it, it's going to be an interesting game to to say the least. Um, I'm interested to you know UCF certainly this game means everything to them. This is basically a Super Bowl for UCF getting to play Florida in a bowl game. So I'm interested to see how locked in Florida is. And uh, I think of the games before, you know, we next pod, uh, that's the game I'm probably the most interested to see. Yeah. Tomorrow night's got one that's of interest to me. I, I think I mentioned on Twitter, uh, UTSA with 12 and one this season against 11 and two and 24th ranked San Diego state. I believe it's called the tropical smoothie Frisco bowl. I've gotten that correct. Yeah, I had Tropical Smoothie Cafe for the first time um, earlier this week, and it's uh, it was awful. Yeah, it was bad. (laughs) Well, hopefully the game's a lot better than your Tropical Smoothie Cafe experience. Yeah, it was like two pieces of Wonder Bread with some Kraft singles and some, uh, you know, out of the out of the. plastic container guacamole on it it was it was wildly unimpressive for the price i was like tropical smoothie i always saw you there and we finally pulled the trigger and uh screw you tropical smoothie you're terrible (laughs) uh speaking of pod i believe that um i believe that josh's plan is to re-release a special uh, podcast that uh, we released around christmas time if you've been with us uh if you haven't that will be uh a nice uh, treat for you if you have, then we appreciate you download nevertheless. And um, I believe the plan is to be back at it either uh, next Monday or next Wednesday. So we will definitely be uh, previewing the the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. Brendan will have his usual deep dive into the opposition. Brendan, just give us a little taste here, just for before we close out. Give us a, maybe 90 seconds. You've watched how much Oklahoma State at, point, at this point, and what are your kind of first blush impressions of these guys? I've watched seven of their football games now. Okay. Um, and I guess the best impression, like, defensively they're very good, um, I guess. Um, but offensively, man, uh, they're not great at all. Um, they're like probably. I'm trying to think of an apt compare, like an apt comparison of what they are offensively. Every game they play looks sort of like um, they're kind of like a Brandon Wimbush Notre Dame football team in that um, they run the football pretty well. Their quarterback can kind of scoot. Uh, he throws pretty good number of picks isn't particularly um accurate isn't particularly smart with the football um and they just stall out uh that's the best way to to describe Oklahoma State's offense is it's the worst offense that um you know Mike Gundy's had in his tenure there and it is very uh, evident when you watch it uh, the two Baylor games are a clinic on just ineptitude uh, you know they they showed up pretty well against Oklahoma um especially you know in the the second half um but i mean that's Oklahoma's i mean 
Kansas showed up pretty well offensively <laughs> against Oklahoma. So, um, yeah, they don't, they don't look particularly, uh, good offensively. And this, this should be a game that Notre Dame, uh, we'll get into a little bit more of the minutia and the, the, the stuff later on. But I mean, just this offense is not great. It is not a New Year's six team. And honestly, if, um, you know, Oklahoma State is healthy in that game against um, Baylor, and they probably are in the college football playoff. Like if Jalen Warren plays, and Jalen Warren's pretty good, he can he can he can move. Um, he's got 1,100 yards. He got a little. Um, yeah. Yeah. If he plays in that game, they probably beat. An, an also very mediocre Baylor team and go to the college football playoff instead of Cincinnati, probably. Right. So stands to reason. Yeah. And then Notre Dame might be looking at the peach bowl, right. Against uh Kenny Picketless pit against Kenny Picketless pit. Yeah. Which, which would prove absolutely nothing. No, so, I guess I'm glad was... for the matchup that we have, not the matchup we could have gotten. So thank you. Yeah, Oklahoma State for coming up six inches short. <laughs> Yeah, I guarantee you he gets that six inches. Jalen Warren gets those six inches. I guarantee that. <laughs> He's only 5'8", but he, he he would have powered through that. Yeah. Um, instead of okay. inexplicably jumping. Um, do you have, uh, like as far as the Christmas season goes, is there is there Christmas movies that are staples in the Seymour household? Oh, that is a great question. Um, so I've got a couple. Um, I will, I will cop to the fact that now, just because of my lack of interest in my immediate family, I don't tend to watch them every single year. Um, but White Christmas was an absolute must, uh, growing up. Uh, my sister and I would watch that religiously. Um, we talked to our uncle on my mom's side all the time about that movie. We play little games in terms of like, you know, noticing things in the background because we'd seen the movie so many times. We'd recite lines. Uh, White Christmas just, for whatever reason, means a lot uh, to our family. So we we tend to watch that one a lot. Um, it's a Wonderful Life is one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, let alone favorite Christmas movies. Oh, um, I, I I can tell you every single and, and I share that with Tommy Reese, by the way. Tommy Reese is a big uh, It's a Wonderful Life guy. I learned that a couple of years ago. Um, I can tell you every single time in that movie that I cry, and if anybody wants to hit me up on Twitter, I already I already have a list. Uh, uh, it's just it's it's uh, I think an amazing movie to me, and um, the one that my wife watches that that will will watch sort of any time that it's on is is Elf. Um, you know, I think we went yeah, through a whole classics, yeah. we went through a whole Will Ferrell glow up in maybe like 2003 when he did like Anchorman and uh, Elf. And, uh, you know, I had a, probably a, two, a good two-year run there. Yeah. yeah. Before, uh, Talladega you know, before, Nights. Before, uh, I was thinking more like semi-pro. <laughs> before, yeah, semi-pro getting, kind of killed it. Yeah. Yeah. It looked kind of weird. So for my money, uh, for my money, Step Brothers is the, the peak. Um, but yeah, Elf is very good. Yeah. So we're big, we're big Elf fans. Um, my sister swears by Love Actually. I've seen it once. I think it's trash. I don't get it. Um, 
I I've watched. It's about a bunch of creeps, right? Everybody in that movie's a creep. Like Hugh Grant. (laughs) There's really there's really no one to root for. (laughs) Really no one to root for. That's that I remember. Um, And the other thing is, this is controversial. I'm sure I'll take some heat for this, but I've watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation a grand total of maybe twice in my life, and I just thought, what's the big deal? Both times, just don't get it. I, I imagine um, Josh would be very upset because this is going to be a podcast where that sent – my wife loves that movie. I I agree with you. I don't get or enjoy Chevy Chase. Um, maybe it's because the way my mom raised me uh, was we watched SNL when I was very young, um, and we were team Bill Murray. And if you know anything about like the history of SNL – you know that Bill Murray and Chevy Chase famously had a spat. So my mom always hated Chevy Chase. So she instilled in me in this young age to hate Chevy Chase as well. And That's I think, very interesting. I think uh, Bill Murray punched um, Chevy Chase when they when Chevy Chase first came back to to host after leaving um, after that first year. You know, Bill Murray took over the the weekend update spot and um, yeah. Did yeah. you read um, the oral history of Saturday Night Live live from Saturday night? It was actually really good. I don't know if you, I don't know if you're a big no. book guy, sort of a, a oral histories came out. I don't know, maybe less than ten years ago, more than five years ago. It was, uh, it was definitely. I listened to it on an audio book. There was definitely a lot of stories, um, you know, obviously from the from the ground up, right, from the seventies on on forward. So there was a lot of stuff to to listen to. And then obviously I followed that up with the, with the Chris Farley show, which is, you know, written by his brothers about Chris. And I thought that was interesting as well. I, I, I don't watch a lot of Saturday Night Live, but I, I find myself strangely attracted to it because it was a big part of my existence as a teenager. I watched a lot during the, yeah, I would say what I would call the Adam Sandler years for lack of, you know, Chris Rock and, um, you know, all those guys. So I watched sort of it through, then, like, wow. through, uh, the early 2000s where it was, uh, you know, Fer- Will Ferrell and, um, you know, Jimmy Fallon and, uh, yeah, Cheryl Terry and, and yeah, yeah, Molly Shannon. Sure. Molly Shannon. Yeah. That was, you know, I caught the, the end of the Sandler Farley years and, and really leaned into those ones. Um, are you? I'm a big Jingle All the Way fan because um, I love Arnold and I love Phil Hartman, uh, especially Phil Hartman in that movie. Phil Hartman's performance in Jingle All the Way might be my favorite character in any Christmas movie. Um, it's just, you know, it's funny. I feel like I watched that when it came out and I haven't revisited it. So I, I'll, I will put that back in the queue and see if I can't watch it because I love – I love Phil Hartman and his, um, his role in So I Married an Axe Murder. Did you ever yes. watch that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Phil Hartman has a great little scene steal in that movie. So, um, and I like, I like Phil Hartman. I like news radio, obviously SNL stuff. Just for, I was just talking about Phil Hartman today, obviously Simpsons. Um, so yeah, jingle all the way. Yeah, his uh, I mean, he teams up. It's his second team up with uh, uh, Sinbad because he's uh, um, <laughs> Sinbad's in it as well. Uh, Sinbad's very good. It is the the whole. It is it's ridiculous. It's not a good movie, um, but like, there's just something about it that that tickles me um, in a in a good spot. Um, you know, obviously, there's the the Die Hard debate. 
um, of whether or not it is or isn't a Christmas movie. I'm not going to put it in my like I like Die Hard. I'm not going to put it in my Christmas movie. I think it, you know, it's a Christmas. It's like Christmas uh, adjacent because it is adjacent. Yeah, it's Christmas yeah. adjacent. I think that's fair. The spirit of the Christmas movie. Um, it doesn't have the spirit of the of of a Christmas movie. Um, you know, like a a Christmas story or a um, you know, White Christmas or a you know your classic Christmas movies. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's just I don't know. I I I enjoy. Do you do you get down with the the Hallmark movies? I know my my father in law he watches them all. Which if you knew him, uh, is absolutely hilarious that he uh, he just buys into the uh, you know the Hallmark the Hallmark movies. I can yeah, also say that is also something I have never seen. I've never watched a Hallmark Christmas movie. I, if I have, I, I didn't know it as, as a Hallmark Christmas movie. So I'm right there with you. My wife doesn't seem that interested in it. Apparently my sister's very, very interested in them and watches them. Um, I can't say that I've ever watched a Hallmark Christmas movie that I, that I can recall, that I can recall. So, um, and which is funny because I, I feel like, that's sort of prime for for our for our wives who are kind of into that, you know. That's a little bit trashy, that's a little, a little bit yeah. trashy, a little bit, you know. I don't know. It's they're a all bit like yeah, yeah. Not not thinking too hard about anything, sort of thing. But they definitely guess not. Yeah, they definitely have a market, um, and it and it feels like they just spin a wheel. And in order to come up with the the uh, synopsis of these movies and plots, um, where it's yeah. like, you know, you three things, and that's your Christmas movie. Um, now, here's something I will cop to. Um, I I think still 30 years later, I still have a crush on Danica McKellar. So I did notice that she was in some some Hallmark or or maybe Christmas movie adjacent. Lifetime, maybe their lifetime. I'm not even 100 percent sure. So, you know, if she were in one, I probably would watch it. But uh, that could be that, a good entry point for because I I don't think that that's the thing with the, the Hallmark movies is I don't think anybody is just like sort of into Hallmark movies, uh, the Hallmark Christmas movies. You're either in or you're out, and the people that are in, they're in, and they just watch them all. Um, yeah, everybody I, I, I know, believe. My understanding is that you could buy a Hallmark channel for like like a six bucks a month or something like that, and just watch as many Hallmark movies as you possibly could consume. So I think there are people, there's enough of an audience that they have an app and a subscription platform. So, man, and you know what? I I honestly say that just as much as anything else, that if you subscribe to the well. Maybe not so much anymore, but if during the earlier parts of this, you know, previous decade, you subscribe to the Hallmark Channel, you were essentially funding USC Athletics, <laughs> right? I mean, that Hallmark movie went right into USC Athletics, so uh, that's that's another reason to to shy away from them. His Aunt well, Becky was a pretty good staple in the I, uh, the Hallmark. Wow. I mean, the rowing program at the very least. I mean, I'm not sure it took her all the way to football, but uh, you know, yeah, holy cow, uh, yeah, 
I mean, it, it very much feels like a spin the wheel. Oh, we got Candace Cameron Bure for this one, and she's matched up with, and it said enemies become lovers, and you know, classic misdirection, and um, you know, grandmother that likes to play matchmaker and S- single Snow- father in small town in yeah, small town Snowden, America. Snowden Blizzard causes to come together. You know, it's almost like a paint. Paint and match or whatever. Paint by numbers. So. Uh, Mad Libs. It's a, it's Mad, a Libs. Mad Libs. It's yeah. a Mad Libs, yeah. That's good. That's a good way to put it. So uh before we go, I just have one thing, which is I, I did notice that Micah Pittman uh, announced from Oregon announced that he's headed to FSU next year, Florida State. So that takes scratch one off the potential uh not that he was ever coming to Notre Dame, but uh scratch one off the uh the potential list of wide receivers. Josh put out an article that I a little bit helped him with in terms of trying to, yeah, trying to get a sense of who's sort of out there and not great. It's not great pickings. Um, when you went through the list, it like, how bad is it? Cause so Notre Dame has some stipulations about the type of transfers that they can accept, right? Yeah. So let's talk about that first. Um, you know, basically that we're looking for, for people that are finishing their true freshman year. Who've done, who've completed one academic year, or we're looking for people who have graduated from their university and are now looking for a graduate transfer opportunity. So obviously there's a whole bunch of people that I thought would be there in the middle. Um, and to be honest with you, there were a couple of freshmen, but a lot of people ha- are finishing up their, um, their schooling and are, are looking to, to do stuff as grad transfers. So there are some opportunities. Um, I mean, so you that, couldn't just take you couldn't just take um you know a, a a sophomore who was sort of looking at the depth chart and um decided that he needed to 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 get out there like you can't get a Jamison Williams right who, yeah I mean Mar- Marcus uh, from Alabama could, Marcus Freeman could want whoever that he wanted but the the problem is is that Notre Dame's academic requirements is they don't take they don't take undergraduate transfers after freshman year, right? Okay. And so you, you're going to be an incoming sophomore academically. And it got a little bit more difficult in terms of finding out where people were in their schooling because of this COVID year. So some yeah. people were there, they were, they had played maybe three seasons, but maybe had been on campus for four years or maybe they were early enrollees. We see that a lot with Notre Dame where, you know, we know them as juniors. Um, you know, but they finished, they finished all their credits and so they have two years of eligibility remaining. So it was a little bit, if you look at my spreadsheet that's attached to, um, I think Josh tweeted it out, might be attached to the story. There's a couple of like, maybe, because I, I really just don't, I don't know, I don't have their transcript, right? I don't know where they are in their school and it's really not a top question for a lot of other universities. Um, because that, you know, a lot of other places will just take them wherever they are. But Notre Dame, you gotta be on, you gotta be on pace to graduate. You gotta be, you know, you gotta be able to get into a major that, uh, you know, Notre Dame offers. There's no, um, you know, phys ed major or anything like that. So if you were doing criminology or whatever, Notre Dame's not gonna have that, right? So that's, that's also a problem. So So like a guy like Mitchell Tinsley, who, um, (laughs) he caught, 87 passes for 1400 yards for the Hilltoppers this year as their quarterback, uh, Bailey, uh, they set, you know, all of the records 
almost throwing for 6,000 yards. Um, I think he's a Juco kid. So he's listed as a junior and he's in the transfer portal, but was he, he was on there, right? As a, as a guy they could potentially get. Um, right. So he, Mitchell Tinsley is, a, is graduating. So, or has graduated from, from Western Kentucky. So yes, he would be eligible. Whether or not the, the you know, the Juco thing comes into play, I don't really think so. If you graduated, yeah. first, the Juco thing is more like a, like UAB's Kadarius Taylor who is a junior, but one of those years is a Juco year. Like, I just, I can't imagine that Notre Dame is, I don't know, even if he was graduating UAB, I don't, I, I don't know. It, it might be a little bit different. Um, so I, I'm not a hundred, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And that's why the list is sort of like a lot of maybes, um, you know, yeah. with some, some yeses mixed in there or whatever. Um, but in terms of like freshmen who are out there, I was only really looking at TJ Steele from TCU, Josiah Davis from Virginia, and Latrell Fordham from, from Eastern Michigan. I think, oh, and Deion Smith from, from LSU, the one that everybody kind of talks about, uh, wanting. Yeah. There's a Keontes Lewis from UCLA. Um, so there's some names out there, and I only, I really only picked, um, you know, mid to high three stars and up because I just figured if you weren't that highly rated in, in high school, you probably haven't done enough to have Notre Dame take a look at you anyways. And I didn't cross-check it with number of snaps anybody took. And I also didn't cross-check it with, you know, would Notre Dame even consider taking this person to see have the, the right skill set, right? Because I put Jafar Armstrong on this list, but there's just – there's no way in hell Jafar They're Armstrong is coming back for his graduate season to play at Notre Dame. I mean, I think that ship has sailed, right? So Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so – that certainly does limp. So a lot of people, if you were scouring uh, the transfer portal for wide receivers, Notre Dame is unequivocally at a disadvantage when it comes to the transfer portal, right? I think yeah, that, that, I mean, that the biggest takeaway for me is when you you went through and you went through that, it's just like this is one of those areas um, where Notre Dame is at a decided disadvantage from other college football programs. Yeah, I mean, Brennan made me do the exercise today where he was like, tell me all the, tell me the most notable non, um, non Brian Kelly transfers, right? And it's just like, there's Notre it's Dame five. doesn't have it. Yeah, Notre yeah, Dame doesn't like really five. have a history. Well, I mean, are they the only five? No, probably not, but they're the five that everyone starts to remember, right? And so, you know, Pat Eilers is probably the one that people from, from my generation remember just because he played on the 88 team. Um, you know, George Conner probably being the most notorious just because he made the College Football Hall of Fame. But having said that, um, you know, we all can name all the guys who left Notre Dame, right? And became right. transferred and, and transferred out and became some something else somewhere else. So um yeah. So if you think about it, um, you know, it's it's sort of like the bit that we that we constantly do. Brenda, who's your favorite uh non graduate transfer in the Brian Kelly era? It's like, you know, your choices are Amir Carlisle or Loie Gilman, right? So, um, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, Loie Gilman. Yeah. It's like, there'll be this, we'll see how the bowl game plays out for him. But I think Jack Cohn's got a pretty good, pretty good chance of being one of the more successful, uh, when all said and done. And unless he like shits the bet against Oklahoma State and then we'll never forgive him. And then we'll never forgive him. 
Um, but I mean, he's got a pretty good chance of being, well, this will probably be an off, off season thing, but like, who's the best grad transfer or who's the best transfer player to come to Notre Dame football in the Brian Kelly, or I guess in the modern era is, uh, cause we can't really say the Brian Kelly era anymore because we're now in the Marcus Freeman era. So I guess in the modern yeah. era, who is the, uh, this century, maybe we can say this century, who's the best transfer this century. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a good look. We used to have these debates about Cody Riggs and, you know, Avery Sebastian and, you know, like these were kind of the, the choices that we got. It's great to have a guy like Jack Cohn who's made such an impression on the team in just, in just one yeah. year, you know? Yeah. Kate um, Madden's up there. Uh, obviously, Louis Gilman. Um, sure. You know, Nick Kate McLeod. Madden's certainly up there. Nick McLeod as well. Yep. I would say yeah. he was a pretty successful uh, transfer. So, um, yeah, so just keep that in mind. I know there's all guys that, you know, that people salivate over, but if they're, if they're a Jordan Watkins from LSU and they're a sophomore, that's not, that's not going to work. If they're, uh, Sam Brown from West Virginia, that, that who's also a sophomore, that's also not going to work. So just remember that when you're looking at the list and, and it may be my fault for, for putting out the list without, you know, putting in those caveats in place. I tried to clean it up a little bit, but some people started saying, oh, I'll take the top three guys. Well, first of all, they're not coming to their name. Second no. of all, you know, they're just they're they're probably not um they can't. They probably can't. They probably can't. Yeah, exactly right. So is that something you ever see the university um changing? Do you ever see them making adjustments to um because that that's the one like Notre Dame has made a lot of strides under Weiss and then under Kelly um, as far as upgrading uh, the way that they do business, uh, facilities, and otherwise. But when it comes to admissions, that seems like that's that's something that seems pretty Loctite, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's an example of a, you know, a tail wagging a dog, right? And so I think Notre Dame prides itself in its academic mission being first and foremost and, and football being a supportive of its academic endeavors, what it wants to do, uh, you know, academically. Um, you know, I, I like to think about, I was thinking about this the other day. Notre Dame took its proceeds from its Rose Bowl win in 1925 to build Dillon Hall, one of its dormitories, right? And one of its long, still longest standing dormitories, not the oldest, but certainly um, one that's, you know, obviously, uh, 80 years now. Let's see more than that. 90 years. So almost a hundred years. Yeah. Almost a hundred years. So, um, so the, I guess the answer to your question is no, but having said that, I don't even, I don't know what the, the landscape of college football even looks like in five years. I think that there's a lot of stuff that's coming down from Alston. that's coming down from, you know, the NCA deciding it just doesn't want to legis it doesn't want to, you know, be in the middle of anything. Um, the pressure on the college football playoff, the NIL stuff. I, I just, I, you know, I, I think that the, the worrying about Notre Dame changing its academic requirements to suit football a little bit better is probably, uh, yeah. a lot less of a worry about how Notre Dame will look in five years than, than some of the other stuff that I just named. I mean, the, the sort of recruiting class and, um, kids that Texas A&M signed this year, um, you know, kind of speaks to that because they certainly, uh, 
utilized um, uh, NIL and, and some other things in order to, to get some guys in there. And they right. put together one of the all-time great recruiting classes. And we saw that with the the number one guy, right? Um, help me out. Javen Hunter, was that his name? Um, yeah, he flipped from uh, Florida State and to went Jackson to State. Jackson right? Jackson State, yeah, to yeah. play for Dion. So you look, you know, you heard Marcus Freeman say that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do it the right way, um, which means that they're gonna stay within the, within the rules or what they believe the rules to be. Now, I will tell you that I think that Notre Dame has has tested the boundaries or pushed the boundaries on a lot of stuff in terms of. Um, you know, maybe a, a gray area or a less defined area in terms of recruiting. Um, not to say they're doing, that they're doing anything illegal. I don't believe that. I think that what they're doing is they're, they're finding out what the NCAA is willing to allow and, you know, and, and asking the question, raising the question, right? And they've done some really cool things because of that. Um, but, you know, NIL seems, it's kind of a it's kind of a wild west right now, and I think that there's there might be a reckoning that comes, and I don't. Yeah, know. well, the market. I mean, the, the the invisible hand will eventually settle this down in the next two years, two to three right. years. Um, so you can't, yeah. What you remains can't. to be seen, though, is if Notre Dame continues to do it what they consider to be the right way, which is like saying to them, "Look, we can't we can't arrange deals for you. We can't promise you X amount of money to, if you come play for our school." But we can tell you about the potential. We can tell you about Kyle Hamilton. We can tell you about, you know, what can be, what can be accomplished here. Um, if they continue to do that and then there is a more naked attempt at other schools to just literally set up, you know, hey, Slush funds. yeah, every yeah. offensive lineman is going to get $50,000 for, you know, promoting our charity once a month on their Instagram. Um, you know. And Notre Dame did that with the the what the men's wipes or whatever the the offensive line got a few deals in the off season, right? The offensive line did get a few deals. They had the Mission Barbecue um, deal. My understanding is that they got a like a free meal out of it, and and I think maybe a couple of gift cards. I can't. It wasn't it wasn't <laughs> oh. anything that you were gonna get <laughs> real spoiled over. It was something that was nice for a college kid, but it wasn't it wasn't like Mission Barbecue was giving each kid fifty thousand dollars, right? Right. And so. Which is what you see elsewhere. Um, right. And, 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 you know, and, and again, not to say BYU has done anything wrong, but you did see that really interesting uh, arrangement with, um, I think it was Built Bar, right? Uh, where they offered scholarships to, or they essentially paid for scholarships for walk-ons. Um, you know, and so you, you, you've, you've had some interesting deals and obviously people put a lot of, um, a lot of focus on Quinn Ewers' deal at Ohio State before the million he transferred. Dollar, yeah. yeah. And, and again. Have you heard the rumors about Amorian Walker? I mean, they're all rumors. It's hearsay. Some of it's sour grapes uh, from us. But have you heard, have you heard the rumors about I, what? I did not. What, what's the rumor? Supposedly. And this is, I mean, this is, this is hearsay, obviously. Um, but supposedly Michigan came to him and set him up with some NIL stuff and he, he inquired with Notre Dame, what can you set up for me? And they said, we can't do that. And that's supposedly something that happened, um, which is supposed, uh, and it kind of falls in line with what you see at like a Texas A&M or some other places where they have these NIL stuff 
ready to go for recruits before they even sign is sort of a, right. you know, here we go. Um, sweetener. Yeah. yeah, sweetener, which in the early stages, I mean, this was always going to be what was going to happen early on, but it's not something that financially or fiscally is responsible. And these rich people aren't going to continue to, you know, these companies aren't going to continue to do it because, you know, you spent a million dollars on Quinn Ewers. How was that investment? Right. And, and you know, you think about the kind of money that QB1 would have gotten in the NIL era, right? Sure. Um, and where is he playing his football now? Tate Martell? I, it just – Early on, this is gonna, it's gonna look, it's gonna look bad. Oh, does that mean we get, to, we get to see QB1 next year? I don't, I don't, does he still have eligibility? He might. I don't know. He might. <laughs> um, he's not going pro, that's for sure. Um, Jeez. yeah, I mean, early on, these we don't have a good, it, we don't have a good history with QBs named Tate coming to our, uh, no. anyways, didn't mean to bring up uh, bad thoughts. Wasn't there a Tate Clawson? Um, <laughs> They, yeah, I mean, early on, these deals are going to look, and, and it sucks because Notre Dame's going to. I pointed this out on the the Twitter machine. Guess who gets to play uh, this this historic Texas A and M class when they're all juniors in College Station? Uh, uh, I believe Brian Kelly will be sipping my ties on the beach somewhere. I think that's uh, Notre I Dame. I believe that was the quote. Yeah, yeah. Um, he will not be sipping my ties unless he's fired, which I don't think this outside of the realm of possibility. Um, sure. but yeah, just, I think that it's going to look even worse next year. And then it's, I think 2024, everything's going to start because everybody's going to react to Texas A&M and dumb money's going to get tossed around. And these deals are going to start to look like bad deals to the people who are paying for them. And I think probably in, in 20, if they're smart, they wait before they make any sort of, uh, judgment call on them because ultimately this stuff's good for the the athlete and they should be getting paid and they should be able to market themselves um you know they should be able to put the bookstore should sell um a kyron williams or a kyle hamilton jersey in the bookstore and the players should be getting paid for them instead of you know you sell a number 23 jersey in the bookstore, and we all know who number 23 is, but the player's not getting any kickback on it. Those players should be getting that. But the money, university right? said it could be Golden Tate. It could be. <laughs> it, it could be, be Autry Davidson. <laughs> you know, it could be Drew Tranquil. I got a whole wall of 23s. You gotta yeah. add iron to that wall. Um, yeah, no, and, yeah. and I, I guess I'll add one thing to, to what you're saying, which is if Amori and Walker uh, followed the money, and and, you know, I would say good for him. Because if anything, um, if anyone gets in trouble for that, it's going to be the university. It's not going to be Maureen Walker, right? Because he's right. only literally doing what um, he's being being given. And, uh, um, you know, I believe that that players should probably exploit this for a couple of years when there are no rules or loosely defined lo- rules. And I also believe that the NCAA is low to actually to try to, you know, and obviously it's just member schools, but it's low to try to you know, to mitigate the, or litigate these fights to play winners and losers and to say, no, this is wrong. No, this is right. Because they're just so, they're so gosh darn, um, worried that the Supreme court's going to come bash them again. Right. And so yeah. we have a little bit of a, of an issue here where 
Um, and I yells wild, wild west and the sheriff saying, good luck. I'm leaving town or I'm going to cower in the corner. Right. So, um, and I mean, if that's, if that's true, wild then west, good for Maury Walker. Wild west was only like what, 20 years? Uh, and yeah. then eventually law came. They, they settled themselves um, out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm a capitalist. And I believe that capitalism works and I believe in capitalism and this is capitalism. And I don't, I just, I don't understand why players can't and shouldn't be able to, um, you know, maximize their, um, their earnings when they're performing a service. And right now it looks bad, but I, I would be very shocked if in five years, these sort of ridiculous deals are being made, these million dollar deals to college athletes that there's no guarantee that they're going to pan out. Like, uh, you know, Bryce Young should make big bucks next year as, as an established guy, Heisman Trophy winner. Bryce Young should make all of the money and he should make all of the money. Um, as long as, you know, the university's not paying for it. Other people, why can't, why can't he maximize that? Um, right. It's it's the notion that the they're throwing money at these these unproven players, and that's the thing that um, I think is going to get fixed, uh, sort of by the invisible hand. Once people are like, whoa, 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 Quinn Ewers made a million dollars, he still hasn't thrown a pass, and he's going somewhere else. Um, all right, all right, <laughs> let's uh, let's let's pull back the reins a little bit on this. Right, I think and so what I think is more likely uh, is that instead of Putting a million dollars towards one guy, you sort of you sort of hedge way more, and you put yeah. you put a hundred thousand dollars towards ten guys, right? That or that's fifty thousand towards to twenty guys, and that's what I think you, what you're seeing with this Texas offensive line, or um, you know, and that doesn't done. look so bad for um, just all of the universities, then, right? Because if if you're just dropping big bucks on a singular guy. Or a group of singular guys that may or may not pan out. But I, I think the offensive line thing is something that might be here to stay where, um, you want to be, you know, lineman you or DBU, yeah. right? For like LSU and like cornerbacks, you come to LSU as a cornerback and you can get into that cornerback LSU, whatever. I don't know. You're selling, um, uh, Po' boys at the the local, uh, <laughs> you know, the local po' boy shop down in Baton Rouge. Right. Uh, well, and that, and that's the thing is, like, I think the universities are secretly loving this too, because if if you if you say, look, we don't have to get involved. There's a booster out there that wants to spend fifty thousand dollars a year to make sure that we always have uh, three highly sought after offensive line recruits every single year. I, I mean, what? You'd be dumb if you were the Texas coach not to sell that, you know, right. just to say, look, look, I can't promise you that, you know, this guy's going to give you $50,000, but I can tell you that every single person who's come before you has gotten $50,000, you know what I mean? And just, and, and sort of be like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, right? And I'd rather it be above board and at least out in the open like this than, than like Shapiro. a Nevin, yeah, like a Nevin, Nevin Shapiro, Shapiro thing. Nevin Shapiro, yeah. He's paying for players to get on boats in international waters and, with hookers and then paying for hookers abortions and um, just, all you know, cocaine and all of the ridiculousness with, that was that Miami scandal from 02 to what was it, 08 or or maybe maybe it was 11 uh, from 02 to 11 when Shapiro was just like, I mean, it, it, that was wild. Oh, uh, yeah. 
So, yeah, I just a true I, lack I, of institutional control right there. <laughs> the fact that Miami didn't get the death penalty for the kind of stuff that went on during that period of time just speaks to the absurdity of the NCAA. They right. should have shuttered that program. Or maybe nobody should get the death penalty. I don't know. You know, I don't SMU, with that either. Maybe yeah. maybe S, they came down way too hard in an SMU, right? So, anyways, uh, I think it it'll be make for interesting watching for college football fans for the next. Yeah, I think five years is is when we're going to see the most flux. And I love that it drives Dabo Sweeney absolutely nuts because anything that drives Dabo Sweeney nuts, I'm I'm probably pretty much for. So, um, yeah, he yeah. should focus a little bit less on. Um, players monetizing their value and talents and maybe try and put together a uh you know coaching staff that that isn't uh you know rinky dink operation because i don't know if you've seen the the kind of moves that he's made um to replace uh elliot and venables but yikes well you know, as a guy who is a wide receivers coach, not very highly thought of, I'm sure that he probably doesn't take a lot of stock into what we all think about, you know, identifying talent, cleansing, identifying up and coming talent, right? So. Yeah, that's I true. Mean, I mean, was, I was looking at a couple of the comments that I made. Um, and I, you know, this wasn't too long ago. So you probably remember these conversations that we had about Tommy Reese and just about, just fire, ex, yeah. you know, expressing some, uh, nervousness allowed about the fact that he was 27 years old, taking an offensive coordinator position at a top a school that was top 15 offensive in the top 15 offensively. Um, National you know, coaching search. Hand, yeah, being handed the keys to the Ferrari, you know, Dad's Ferrari, and not really knowing if he could drive, right? And finally, just throwing my hands up and saying, "Fuck it, I like Tommy Reese." Um, I'm just going to will this thing into existence to make sure that, you know, to, to say that it's going to work. But there was no guarantee that it was going to work. No. And I think there was, uh, you know, I think we all had. Clark Lee was also a hire that was kind of like, all right. Um, it's never been a DC, uh, linebackers coach, right? So that was also a. Right. So, you know, sometimes these are. You look like a genius and sometimes you just, you say, well, I knew this was going to crash and burn from the beginning. But, um, you know, just like the, the national media guys, I, I just don't have any sense about who is a home run hire anymore. I'm just glad that every day Urban Meyer does something even worse to make sure that he will never be employed by Notre Dame. Uh, you know, no, never by Notre Dame, but what he's going to get employed again, right? Oh God. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Brian Van Gorder got another job. I, I, I get that it's what a high school, right? But like, high still, school, right? I mean, there is somebody that wants an urban fire and will pay for him. Um, oh, yeah. And you know, Mike but I think he'll coach an SEC school. Um, that that seems like a good fit. Or I'm, you know, maybe an unscrupulous, uh, you know, if the Pac-12, I'm, you could do well in the Pac-12, right? So yeah, I mean, look. If I were Meyer, I would just go do bong hits on the on a you know on, a, on my own personal boat with all my oh, friends or well, whatever. He, but, he already did that. <laughs> yeah, and I'd go back to doing that. I suppose I would say. Yeah. So um, I, I don't think he needs the money. Um, you know, I thought that he did a good job on the Big Noon Show. I think if Fox were willing to have him back, I don't know right now. I think he's probably pretty toxic, but um, 
you know, Fox were willing to have him back, then I think that there's an avenue there. Um, and it, yeah, if the right, if the right avenue came down, look, people were going to hire Art Bryles until there was like huge pushback, I, right? Yeah. So, um, I think anybody, there's no, I don't think there's anything, there's no such thing as too toxic unless you're incarcerated. I, I just don't think that, I don't think that exists. I think there's somebody who's depraved enough to say, look, I understand what Urban Meyer is all about with this, what was his name? Josh Smith, Smith, uh, the whole thing. And then, oh, you know, yeah. everything that's happened with the Jaguars or whatever, but like, you know, he can really make Utah state into a winner. Like I, I'm, I'm sure that somebody could throw enough money at him. You know, and I don't know and, if he'd slum it at Utah. So I, I think that there will be, I don't know if he'll have to go the Hugh Freeze route and go to Liberty. Um, I think he could probably take, say, a, um, trying to think of a, uh, a good job. I mean, he could take the Arizona job, right? Arizona would yeah. take him if he wanted to go to Arizona. Yeah. I, I think, think so. That tier of job is available to him if he wants it. Sure. Uh, so you know, it, it, I, I definitely not Notre Dame. I was Absolutely gonna say, not I just don't. Notre I, I thankfully don't have to spend my time worrying about Urban Meyer or John Gruden because Marcus Freeman is our future, and those guys are our forgettable past. You know. What about and Randy so, Etzel? <laughs> I don't. I don't worry about Randy Etzel either. All right. Um, I'm just making sure. Yeah. You know. Wow. There's a name I haven't thought. There's a name I haven't thought about in years. Um, all right, Brandon. Anything else before we close out this podcast? Tonight? Oh no, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I mean, the real bull. The bull season sort of begins in earnest uh, with the Hawaii Bowl, right? That's sort of the <laughs> the, the kickoff for it. Um, I have a special place in my heart for the Hawaii Bowl ever since 2008. So. Always have a special place in my heart for the Hawaii Bowl. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's that post Christmas when everybody's off work. Um, and there's the Hawaii Bowls song. actually play Christmassy, but I, I, your point's well made. So, yep. Yeah, but I mean, it's like post Christmas. It's like the Hawaii Bowl kicks off the, the season. Um, Memphis and Hawaii this year. Um, should just call it the Hawaii Invitational. Um, but yeah, just bowl games every day. For the next, you know, for a so- football every day for a solid week. Yeah. It's not even and apparently the NFL is uh, getting in the action too, right? Yeah. And playing games tomorrow, right? Playing games tomorrow. Played a game tonight. Well, Monday is the typical yeah, night Monday. for them, for them, anyways. Yeah. But, uh, oof. Yeah, we'll be back next week to, uh, to talk about some of these, these bowl games. Um, I want to put some of them on the picks too. Um, yeah, good. The, yeah, just see, see if we can get them on there. Um, I mean, I'm locked in on tally site. I'm locked in on the bull mania. I, maybe I will. Maybe I'll change them up. I don't know. Whatever. Let's, I, I mean, get, there's a there's new notes. like I had Pitt as my 44th ranked uh, confidence, and during this podcast, I slid him down to uh, 30. Because uh, nice. can't say I'm entirely you know as confident in Pitt now as that I was uh, you know five days prior. So. Um, yeah, that's that's absolutely fair. I still have them at forty-one. Uh, that seems that feels a little high, but uh, might want to might want to make some moves. Don't know. I'm not going to speak for I you. Know. I was going to say maybe uh, maybe it doesn't really matter. Um, 
I am looking forward to seeing which one of our, our loyal listeners is going to win themselves some home field apparel. Right now it's John, what would you say? Shul? Shule? Shule. Got it. I'm sorry, John, if you're listening and I'm pronouncing your name terribly, then. Probably just Shul. He right Probably now, just John Shul. Yeah. He has uh, 222 points. Um, Michael Lehman in second has a max of 853. He's also six and four. And then Daniel O'Brien, who named his pick home field magic, is seven and three and has a max of 868 points. So. They're all less than me those, on their max. Um, really? You still got, you still got some backloaded picks, huh? Yeah, I'm at eight, I'm at, uh, eight ninety six. So I'm feeling pretty good. Nice. You're up at nine ten. I'm at, at nine ten. All right. Oh. Tell me. I think Josh is at like 32. So, uh. <laughs> so yeah, I just can't wait to see what, uh, what home field apparel that ends up getting uh, chosen because I own most of it at this point and, uh, it's all super, super nice to, to walk around the house. And I got myself the joggers and, uh, those are comfortable. I can report and they've got the same drawstring as my, my hoodie, which I love so much. So I'm, yeah, I'm feeling pretty comfortable. So. Hoping somebody else feels comfortable too. And, you know, with a, with a zero entry fee, I think that's about the most perfect way you can do this, right? So have yeah, fun. I don't, I don't know if you can get much worse than a zero dollar entry fee for a. Yeah. And it's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. So, all right. So for Brendan, uh, in the great Mitten State and for me up here in up, lovely upstate New York, uh, snow where I am. I'm guessing the same for you, Brendan. You got snow on your ground? No, we don't have a single, uh, we don't have a single inch of snow. Oh wow! We, are we will be uh, we will have another brown Christmas this year. Wow! Yeah, I got about I think probably, probably got about six inches here. So for the two of us and for our compadre Josh, who will hopefully be joining us on the, on the next OFD podcast. Uh, I'm Jude, and have a great night in Gorge.